13 years. So he's had a little experience in the pulpit, and he said you can call me anything you want to, but we are delighted to have Pastor, Reverend, whatever, Mike Buchanan join us this morning with the morning message. Welcome, Mike. Well, good morning. I, I was already had a prayer request answered. Uh, I believe it's uh, Gary up in the booth, right? You didn't turn on my mic during the singing, <laughs> or many of you would have probably left. Uh, but I was blessed by the music this morning. The message I've had laid on my heart to share with you is about freedom, because it's really the very message that set me free and sprung me forward in my walk with Christ. So I'm excited to share it. As I was reading last night from a very popular author of recent time, he paints a picture of heaven. And he starts describing heaven with the crystal seas, the beautiful forests, the peace, the tranquility, the people you love, everyone you've connected with on this planet being together. Then he asks a very pointed question. He says, would you still want to go if Jesus wasn't there? And it really, it really showed me that I need to continue to grow in my love for Christ. Often with my children and my wife on the way over to church, I ask, why are we going to church? Why did you come to church this morning? Maybe to serve and that, but it's really to honor Jesus Christ. I had the privilege one time as I served as a chaplain at the University of Hawaii. I know you all feel really bad for me, right? <laughs> for 13 years I was there and we had one of our coaches that was a receiver, Kenny Margeline, played with the Bears. So one day, prior to his death, Walter Payton comes to one of our games. Uh, one of the, I, I, they gave him the nickname Sweetness for what he did on the field, but I've never met a man sweeter in character. And I had the opportunity to share with him. It was right after his uh, Hall of Fame of in induction. And I went up to Walter and I said, you know, I loved you having your son induct you into the Hall of Fame. That meant the world to me. So he started talking with me when everyone around him was inviting him to play golf for free and go buy him a drink and offer him dinner for free. And I'm like, the rich are getting richer, right? And, uh, but he ended up hanging out with me for some reason. There just came to me. He liked being around me for whatever reason, maybe because I wasn't offering him all the free stuff. And I said, Walter, are you a man of faith? And he says, absolutely. Absolutely, Mike. I'm a man of faith. And I said, what's your faith in? He goes, I got faith in faith. And really, in the Polynesian culture, a lot of people have faith in faith. But we need to be reminded we need to have an object of our faith. And that object is Jesus Christ. And will always be object of Jesus Christ. And if you're like me, and I am, I am. I still see myself as that onion. But I'm so happy and I trust the Lord's growing me in the right areas and He's peeling off those layers of the onion. I mean, I still stink. I know where I need to grow. But I'm amazed with what God has done with my life as well. Uh, my wife, when she speaks to the college athletes and her high school athletes, she titles this, this talk, Beyond Your Wildest Dreams. I call it the secret because that's what Billy Graham and Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade, say that most of the Christians, they, they say 80 to 85 percent of the Christians around the world don't get. That's why they're living a life that's just 
in poverty. In fact, I read this story the other day. It's about a lady named Sally. She was almost penniless. Her husband had passed away, left enough in the life insurance to pay the mortgage off the house. But over two decades, she lived in poverty. She couldn't afford the 85 cents cup of coffee down at the coffee shop. Nor could she even afford to go see a cheap matinee for $3. She lived by candlelight, the source of heat in her home. She cooked by a Coleman stove. And then one day a friend came over named Marion. And Marion came in and just felt led to come over and help Sally clean up her house. And as she was going through the old roll-top desk, she found in there a thing called For Sally When I Leave. And it was from her husband, Jed. And Marion opened that envelope and asked Sally if she ever had any recollection of this. And she was so emotionally distraught during that time when she lost her husband. And in there, they found, they found an envelope with a key. They found an old book, remember, guys? The books we had to go get stamped at the bank. And, and the last transaction in there, here she is living in poverty, was for $87,000. The last date in there was 22 years prior. There was a key in there, and there was three sleeves of rare coins. So they found this with this note in there too. And it says this. Let me use my reading glasses. I'm to that age now. It says, my dearest love, my time with you draws short. But I want you to know that I have provided everything you will need once I am gone. Check the bank book in the file. Then take this key to the bank with you. In loving remembrance of me, please enjoy life to the full. With love forever, Jeb. That's what God wants for us. To enjoy life to the full. He promised us the abundant life. The enemy in the same verse, John 10.10 wants to rip us off from knowing that abundant life. Anyway, she took the envelope. They took the rare coins, had them appraised, got $43,000 for that. In that safety deposit book box was $32,000 in cash. They appraised and calculated the interest over 22 years. It amounted to over $225,000. And then there was a stack of coupons, the, the stock, whatever they call the stock things, I'm done with stock, had a bad experience once. But all those papers, I imagine there were apples on them, you know what I'm saying, back in that day. Anyways, that was over 550000 She had at her reach over $883,000 liquid, yet she lived in poverty for 22 years of her life under candlelight and in misery and in the cold and yet a lot of believers live in life that way and it breaks my heart because God has provided everything you and I need to live that abundant life to the fullest that's what it means abundant life purposeful meaningful fulfilling and the enemy wants to rip people off from that So I want to take you to some scripture that's really changed my life. It's found in Ephesians. We read it. Ephesians is in the New Testament. Some of you might remember green elephants, purple cows, 
God's eternal power company. But let's remind ourselves too of where Ephesians starts. In chapter 1, God prays over the spiritual blessings. He comes out and praises God the Father for choosing you. You realize that? It amazes me. Here I am in New York, how God is so active throughout this country, from Honolulu to L.A. to New York. I've been chaplain at three different Olympics and and seeing people worldwide impacted personally by our true living God. And that's amazing and that always puts me in awe. So he praises God the Father for choosing us. He praises Jesus Christ for adopting us into his family. Isn't it beautiful how God uses a family illustration to pull us into his family? And then he praises Jesus Christ also for his redemptive blood. Your life redeemed by his blood at the supermarket. Think about that transaction. So he's praising for that. Then he praises the Holy Spirit for marking us with a seal, sealing us in the Holy Spirit, and giving us a place of destination, guaranteeing us a place of destination, not upon our faithfulness, but about the true living God who is always faithful. Then chapter 2 reminds us of who we were after God prays at the, Paul prays at the end of the chapter for our eyes to be open spiritually. Then chapter 2, you were once dead. It's like that corpse. You didn't know God until God opened your eyes to Him. You didn't drum up the faith. He gave you the faith to have it in Him. Truly all of His work. At seminary, I wrote a paper on Galatians and it was just called Grace Plus Zero. Because it's all Him. And then chapter 3, Paul gets his mission. Uh, the wisdom of the manifold mission that he's called to. And basically it's taken the Gentile world and the Christian world and meshing them together and taken the news there. And then in chapter 4 we see the real pivot in the book where it becomes practical application. Paul 5 times says, walk this way. Not the Aerosmith song, but walk in this manner. Right? in unity and in holiness and in love and in light of God. And that's where I want to land today is walking in wisdom. I believe it's the climax of the book. And I just know how much it's changed my life. And I am honored to share that with you. So let's pray as we look at that passage today. Father God, you are the living water. And I just want to be your pipe, Lord. I don't want any junk in me, and I've prayed that you would clear that out, that your living water would flow and touch each one in here today and speak to us, wherever we might be at. If it's coming to know you, or if it's just growing and maturing from a baby to a child to an adult to just maturing in our faith, I pray that for some it would be a sweet reminder, for some that it would be freeing as well. And I pray this in the most awesome name in all the universe. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So as we go to 5.15, it says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as the unwise men, but as wise. We see a real parallel. We see a couple antithesis here. That's all I know about the English language. I learned more about the English language studying Greek in seminary than I did through all my years of English. But basically that's how the Proverbs are written. You know, not this, but. And that's what we're going to see here. As this comes up, we can click up here now. 
You can see that. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Anyone need me to preach on the days are evil today? Anyone needs proof of that? We're all good there? Okay, we're good. But look at that before that, making the most of your time. What that means is that God wants you to take the time now, God's purchased you, and buy it back and invest in His kingdom. The wisdom that He's talking about here, a lot of scholars take it and turn it back to the Old Testament Proverbs because it's written like Proverbs, and that means to live life skillfully. But as I've studied this book and read some other writers on this book, they talk about the wisdom that's mentioned in chapter 1, and that's connected with evangelism and salvation and people coming to know Christ. In chapter 3, the same thing too. And I think living a wise life is investing in the only thing that counts for eternity, and that's other people's souls. And I think that's the wisdom that he's pushing forth on us there, as well as living wisely. So then do not be foolish. We see that. You could draw a thing on your page. So I color-coded them. Unwise fool dissipation, which is really extreme foolishness. Or the wise. Making the most of your time. One of my traps, to be honest, is that darn thing called the TV. You know, the thing that's the center of our house. It's the altar fixture. And I read a study. The average person reads spends 32 to 34 hours in front of the TV, and I'm like, no way. So I go down to my trainer friend at the University of Hawaii, get a stopwatch, put it on my TV, and every time I turned it on, on and off. And you know what? I was right there on the average. You know, one time, I mean, those are the things that distract us from doing what God's doing. I mean, think if I spent 32 hours a week serving Him in His Word, maturing, whatever, where would I be? A lot more layers of this onion would be peeled off. But it's just challenging to me. One time I went to set forth on a 40-day fast, and I got about four or five days into it, and I was really convicted that God didn't want me just giving up food because that wasn't burdensome for me, for whatever reason. Now, my wife, I don't allow her to fast because she gets grumpy if she misses a meal. She's never grumpy, but if she misses a meal. And uh, don't elbow your wife there, pal. I'm playing. I didn't see nothing. But what the Lord challenged me to do is unplug the TV for 60 days. And I can honestly tell you it was the most productive, meaningful time of my life. And we all know what distracts us, right? James says the enemy knows how to entice us, to lure us away from what's really important. So make the most out of your time. Buy it back. It's precious. Make it count for eternity. You won't want to stand before a holy God and say, well, I was busy. You know? So there's, there's an important part of it. It's verse 17. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Continually seek the will of the Lord. James 1.5 tells us to ask for wisdom, and He'll give it to us. His will is throughout His book. I think he pulls our heart spins, our heartstrings and shows us his will at different times. So know his will. Know his will for your life. Hopefully you can be like Eric Little in the chariots of fire where he says, when I run, I feel the pleasure of the Lord. I've got a transition going on in my life. I've been the regional director for Athletes in Action for six years now, overseeing the ten western states and all our people. 
And he's moved me from that back into coaching at the high school level. And I'll tell you what, when I'm out there with those young men, I just feel his joy, like Eric Little said. Because we're at a Christian school where I'm teaching them the AIA stuff when they're in junior high and high school. So we don't need to get deprogrammed like I had to in college because what motivated me was not godly stuff. It was a win at all cost. It was anger and recognition. That's what I wanted. And I played with a lot of people that you guys would know. But anyways, here's the most important stuff right here. And do not get drunk with wine. I think Paul uses that as an illustration. It's a command not to get drunk. But I think he's using it as an illustration because we've all seen someone drunk before, right? They're empowered, they're moved by the great encourager of alcohol. And we know how destructive that can be, many of us. In our lives, in our families, maybe we've lost loved ones because of the power there. So I think it's really a great word picture that he's putting forth before he says, but be filled with the Spirit. And that's what I want to talk about today is being filled with the Spirit because it changed my life. And it's really having Lordship salvation where you want to put the Lord in first place. A lot of gymnastics between the terms, even people ruffle figures of things over it. But I want to talk about what it means to be filled because the word filled there is such an interesting word it's a present imperative passive verb i mean present past what's going on right imperative we know it's a command right god wants us to be filled with him present it means it's ongoing that it's up and down the word pneuma in the in the biblical language means the wind and we don't see the wind but we see the result of the wind you fill, see it fill the sail on the sailboat and empower it and direct it. And, and it's up and down, yet it's a command, it's present, it's ongoing up and down, and yet it happened in the past. It's the day you sincerely ask Jesus Christ into your heart that the Holy Spirit was the tool that came into your life to fill it. And I've got a little illustration that helps me a lot. And i got three basic little things of milk up here to illustrate the life I want to talk about here. And if we go to the next one, next slide, please. If we return to 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, But the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So here's the glass of milk that I want to use to represent that guy. Plain white milk right here and then what i want to do is talk about the next guy but he who is spiritual appraises all things yet he himself is appraised by no one for who has known the mind of the lord that he will instruct him quote from the old testament that's why it's all capitalized but we have the mind of christ so this person here at some point has decided to open their life up to the lord Revelation 3 talks about that in verse 20, but it's, it's, I know it's out of context for some of you that are scholars, but there's other verses that show us that too when we open our lives up, when we yield to that, and we ask Jesus into our life. I always pray I don't spill this when I'm at another church or anything. So Jesus comes into our lives. He's better than Hershey syrup. 
And then just like verses 13 and 14 in chapter 1 says, we're sealed in Him now. And then we discover our life has changed. And it's very different than what it was before. Wow, that's sick. I promised one of the players I'd let him have it afterwards, but that's pretty rich. You know, you see the changed life. And we should be different, right? And, and it comes in and, and it's more desirable. Out of all the years I've done this, I had one guy come up out of the audience and goes, Good sermon, but I hate chocolate milk. Sorry it didn't work for you, you know. There's always those ones, you know. Like, work on that spirit-filled part. But here we are. We got two two different lives right there. So we'll put them up there. Well, we'll just leave them there. Can you guys see those okay? Then there's the third one. goes on into chapter 3, and it says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh as to infants in the world, the worldly Christian right here. I give you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not fleshly, you are, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? So here's the tragedy. Instead of Christians looking different than everyone else, we're looking exactly alike, even though the Spirit's still in their life. Because I'm a firm believer that when we are fleshly, worldly, carnal, that that relationship between you and the Father never gets broken. You're His child. That's why He uses that force. What gets broken is the fellowship, right? Right? Even like in marriage, you've got the marriage, a vow before God. Yet in our marriages, we get out of fellowship every once in a while, right? What do we have to do, guys? Right? We need to apologize, even when we know we're right. And we've got every reason to be right. We still go to that beloved wife and apologize, don't we? Because we want things to be right. So what causes us to go from here to here? I'll spell it for you. S-I-N. You get the little emphasis there? I had a radio show in Hawaii for five years of athletes coming on, sharing their testimonies. Everyone's a miracle. Uh, It's still a a community that isn't that good with the language, so you want to break down things. And and the the reason I emphasize the I in there is because I've really have studied what sin was and it's really just us being independent from God. What, what pleases God is when we're dependent upon Him, when we're trusting Him, when we have faith in Him. The opposite is being independent. And then when we do sin, when we break one of the Ten Commandments, if you will, if we still, isn't that just gross evidence of our independence? So how often are you and I independent daily from the Lord? Even though you're not doing anything outwardly wrong, we need to keep the cup clean on the inside. So what takes us from here in this joyful time in our life, and even when John is writing revelations and Jesus says, but I have this against you, you've lost your first love. In the next verse, chapter 5, he says, remember what your life was like before. Remember how he changed you from this person to this person. And repent. And repent basically means to turn and move away 180 degrees. 
But I want to take that a step further today, the military term there, and say I had a problem with drugs. And I'm like repenting from it and I'm turning away and I'm taking steps doing the right thing. But if my heart and mind are constantly on that, have I really repented? So try to take your repentance another step further. Instead of turning the 180 degrees, swing your heart and your mind right with it. Now the real question is what do we do to get from this state back to this state? Because this is what Paul is talking about here. And being filled with the Spirit. Because the tragedy is, is we look no different than when the world, when we're not walking with the Lord and we're not filled with the Spirit. And people can't tell the difference. Yet, we're secured in our salvation. So what do we do? I mentioned the marriage illustration. Guys, what do we do? We go and ask for forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9. Let me turn there real quick. One of you guys do a wanna out here? Yeah, it's one of the wanna verses. I'd love teaching that. I did it for like three or four years, and just to have those kids repeat the verses that I knew I needed. It's like, what is that again? Oh yeah, I've been in ministry for twenty five years. First John one nine. If we confess ourselves, who's the we there? The believers. We confess our sins. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess. Admit it. When you realize you've done something that's not pleasing to the Lord. That is sin. Confess it. Even when your eyes wander for that moment. When your thoughts wander for that moment. See some of the indicators in my life. When I'm in this state. I think about my lack of desire for God's word. My prayer time shortens up. I get critical of other people around me. That's a huge thing. Especially in the Christian community. When we get critical of our leaders and that kind of thing, that, that's one of those things that sends up the yellow flag for me. Saying, time to check the dipstick, Mike. You living independently or dependent on the Lord? And the list goes on and on, Right? So if I confess, He is what? He is faithful and righteous to forgive us. Now when you came to Christ, He forgave your sins past, present, and future, correct? And I've always like, why do we need to confess it again? Well, being a father of three, when my children do something wrong, I want to see them acknowledge what they have done wrong. Does that make sense? And I think that's why God has us confess. Lord, you're right. I did wrong, and this is what I did wrong. And I think that's what keeps us healed there, too, and helps us to grow in many fronts. Then turn to 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Is it God's will that we're filled with His Spirit? Absolutely. It says, This is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, in whatever we ask, we know, excuse me, we know that we have the requests which we have asked for from Him. You hear that in there? The key part of that in prayer is, 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 is his, his will. That's when we get yes answers to prayer. I've been looking for my Corvette through this book for years. 
I cannot find my Corvette in there, my 63 split window, burnt orange rust car. You know what I'm saying? I mean, God gives you desires, but it's not God's will. But the things that trip me up are when I read things like, love your enemy. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are God's will too. And when we put that before the God, we're guaranteed to get the answer. So when we ask God and confess before Him wherever we've gone wrong, and that's a great little thing to do, is sit down with a piece of paper today and say, Lord, where have I broken that fellowship? Praise you for the relationship still intact, but we break the fellowship quite often. And ask Him and confess to Him what we've done wrong. Then come to Him and say, I know it's your will that I'm filled with you. Will you fill me? And like coming to Christ... That's the simple part. It's the daily grind that is the hard part. So hopefully all of us have moved from this person to truly knowing Christ, asking Him and realizing that it was His blood that redeemed you. We often refer to it as death, but it's His blood that saved us. And then are we living in this state? There's the application today. Are we looking no different in the world? Maybe some of you have already got great party plans for tomorrow and you're bummed I shared this message. (laughs) But this is where you find joy. This is where you find joy. Happiness comes from happenings. And look at the results that we find in the next couple verses. Here's what happens to us when we truly walk with Christ. He says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Do you see the horizontal and the vertical coming into play? When our hearts are right, we're enjoying the Lord. And then we can effectively touch one another with that same kind of joy. We know who the drains are, right? That person in the neighborhood that's like, Okay, I'll stop, but then it's just going to be a drain emotionally. But this is where, look what it goes on and says. I'm going to hit on this point first. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even after the Father. I'll tell you, this is critical for us, I believe, learning to give thanks. I had a lady walk up to me at San Diego State and said, Mike, would you like to see God? And I thought, you know what I mean? She going to whip out a picture? What's she going to do now? And she looked me right in the eye and said, learn to be thankful. Because when we learn to be thankful, we see God's hand. And when we learn to be thankful for the little things, we see His hand about us every single day. Do we not? I mean, the Lord knows, ladies, when you pull in the shopping mall or the mall, we got big malls in California. I haven't seen one of those out here yet. You know what I mean? Where there's like 80 stores in there and people are rushing in and it's like, Lord, I need a parking lot. I mean, a parking spot. You pull your car in, the Lord knows you're on that 10-minute window and someone pulls out right in front and you pull in there, right? But then there's those days where the Lord knows you've got the 45 minutes to search for a parking spot and He lets you. But what I'm saying is break it down and start enjoying looking for the little things to be thankful for each and every day. That'll keep so much more alive in your life. You'll taste the abundant life. Call it the taster spoon effect. You have Baskin Robbins out here where you get the little taster spoon full. 
And that five gallons is still sitting there? We gotta move from taster spoon mode to that five gallon drum of ice cream. And then here's the beautiful part. When we're walking with God's Spirit, when we're filled with Him, we're able to be subject to one another. We're able to serve. Now, people ask me what I do all the time, and I said, here's who I am. I'm a husband to Allison, and I'm a father to Christopher, Emily, and Johnny. What I do is this. You know what I mean? Those are my priorities. But I'll tell you what, even in the family realm, I'm selfish. When I'm not in the spirit, it's about me around the house. Serve me, Allison. Christopher, get on the lawn so I don't, you know what I mean? But when I'm walking with the Spirit, I'm putting them before myself. And that's the strength that allows you to do it. That's the strength that allows you to go around people you're not comfortable with and lead them to Christ. And enables you to reach out beyond yourself. And there's no mistake in the book of Ephesians that what does Paul talk about next? Yep, you got it, marriage. The husband-wife relationship, it's not by mistake. I don't even think the authors of the Bible knew how well and deep they were writing. Because I'm just in awe of it all the time. This, right before the husband-wife relationship. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. Husband, love your husband with that respect he needs. You've got to learn that about each other. Great book called Love and Respect out there. And then the next section is about what? Children. Serving your children. Not them serving you, but you serving them. Grow them, right? I think that psalm, that passage in Psalms that talks about putting the path, the child on the right path, I can't, it's not coming to mind right now. Yeah, the child in the way, I see my job as being a student of my children, discovering their strengths, how God wired them, and they're very different than me, every one of them. One has cystic fibrosis, the other one has an eye problem, the other one has a heart problem, and I married a volleyball player, so we'd have athletes and get D1 scholarships and not worry about college money. That's what we step to the altar thinking. God had completely different plans, but that enables me to serve my wife when our kid's up coughing all night out of control. When his lungs, he's on 16 meds a day and we have to work together. And I praise God that when Allison and I were dating, we competed competitively in co-ed volleyball, playing against Olympians and other players professionally. And yet on the volleyball court, we really learned to protect and take care of each other and allow our strengths to be shown. And that's panned off panned out in in our marriage with our health issues that we face daily. But that allows you to serve. And I'm one of those, I love the coaches that yelled at me. And I I have a tendency to go that way. But I've changed a lot, I think. Some layers of that onion have been peeled back. It still stinks. But it's like just serving your children. Seeing and recognizing how God's gifted them and encouraging and then I'm exhorting them to chase after God. And then the next section is about the boss and the slave. Modern day, that's the workplace and your boss. 
Some of you may not have Christian, godly examples in the workplace, right? And they're just a pain in the cole. That's Hawaiian. If you can't figure that out, I'll tell you afterwards. All right? But you may be in that situation, and this is what will enable you in, to go in there and serve God while you're working underneath this guy that is just crude and rude and a pain to work for. Colossians 3 tells us to do everything wholeheartedly unto the Lord, not unto your work, the boss at work, not unto your coach, not unto, but unto the Lord. If we were out there trying to please our Lord every day instead of other people, we would be a lot further in life. And then what's after that? We get into chapter 6. And that's what enables us to stand under the armor of God. You get me there? Under the armor of God. God is already wearing the armor throughout the Old Testament. And we get to stand underneath His armor. And that's what protects us in His life. So just in summary, some young people in here, I don't know where you're at. Some of you adults... Have you really made that decision and discovered that flavor in your life that's just undeniably God? Have you had those moments? The last thing you want to do, I grew up in a a school and a third of the school was one famous pastor. We called them the MacArthurites. The other third were the Hayfordites. And there was the rest of usites. And here's the real problem. And I both know John and Jack the pastors, and neither one of them want them following them apart from following Jesus. And I know their hearts on that. But there's just too many people living vicariously off spiritual leaders instead of owning it for themselves. God wants to write the story on your heart, give you that personal story to testify to. Does that make sense? Don't live off of my faith and my stories and be encouraged spiritually that way. Make sure you're owning that personal relationship with Jesus Christ for yourself. And then you will discover and taste and take bigger spoons full of that abundant life. And that's where you'll really experience joy in life that'll set you free in a way you maybe never have been set free before because He wants to fill your cell and guide and direct you into the areas that He's wired you with. And every one of you can be a difference maker on this planet. Somewhere, somehow. And believe that, please. And then if you're here today, I hope you understand it's spending time with your Lord. Get out a piece of paper. Ask the Lord where you've broken fellowship. Don't be surprised if your hand starts going faster than your mind. Trying to keep up with your mind is what I should say. Because the Lord will show you when you ask Him, where has that fellowship been broken? And when He lays those things in your heart, all you have to do is confess them and make them right. You know why David was a man after God's own heart? I had a hard time wrapping... I mean, here's an adulterer, a murderer, right? And a man after God's own heart? As I took a class in David through seminary and studied it, I never read once where David committed the same sin twice. Yet we do, right? I mean, I'm not looking at the root of the sin here. I mean, specifically the same sin. Because when he sinned, he turned from it, he repented, and didn't do it again. You can argue with me later on that one if you'd like, but that was 
from my own studies. But let me close in prayer. I hope you've made that decision to follow Christ wholeheartedly. You're not a follower of Christ because your mom and dad are. Used to be, speak the junior high group, said if you were to live in the garage tonight, would that make you a car? You know what I mean? You, you need to own it individually. In marriage, women are always calling for the men to be spiritual leaders. That doesn't mean that they live off their husband vicariously spiritually either. I see my role as just keeping, keeping close watch on my wife in the sense that she's still walking with the Lord. And it's so exciting because she's doing her own thing. She's getting into coaching. She's never been a head coach. She doesn't see it as her personality. And she's telling me the other day what she's reading in Tony Dungy's book. I didn't share this with you, but I got to do 13 Pro Bowl chapels be a part of them and meet Tony and guys like that and she's just like I can be that quiet person I don't have to be like my husband and coach right but just just know that each one of you are growing I used to speak for family life and I get a pink ball out and a blue ball and lift up a cross and as you're growing closer together that's where it comes in and just make sure when the other one starts lagging to help them get back you know I'd come home, see my wife just tired, wore out from the medical stuff. Our life's crazy. But I praise God for His mercy every day. And I just see her wore out and it's like, Honey, I got the kids. Here's your Bible. In Hawaii, it's like, Go to the beach for a couple hours. Don't come back for a while. Whatever it takes. And just guard each other's time that way. That's really the leadership that looks out for one another. You can tell I'm a talker and I'll go on and on, but... I want to close up in prayer and pray that God really spoke to you today. Father God, I pray, praise you for being the true living God. And when things sound impossible, you are the I am that makes them possible. Lord, I pray for those struggling with anger because that's always a letter from danger. I pray for those that know they don't look any different than the world, but they know they have you in their lives, that they would take that time this afternoon even and just make things right with you and that you would fill their cell once again and guide them and direct them in the path you would have them. And Lord, I pray the blessing upon this congregation and Pastor John as he's away, that he would take those things that he was talking about to share with family members to me the other day with it you would just bless those moments for him keep his eyes open to the needs and the things he should say or not say to his family and friends and really honor and tribute make a tribute to their the parents that are there I thank you for meeting us today reminding us that without you even the picture of heaven is empty if you're not there Help us fall in deeper in love with you. Keep you as our first love and first place the days of our lives and correct us when it slips out of that place. And we pray this in the greatest name in all the universe. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.